0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another exciting comic-centered edition of Words, Images, and Worlds. Delighted to be joined on this episode by comics creator, would you prefer John Snyder, John K. Snyder III? What what variation would you like? Oh, John K. Snyder
1: III is fine, thank
0: you. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. So, So thank you for
1: joining me and talking with me for a few minutes today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on board. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah, pleasure to have you. I am enjoying the background. I was going to ask some questions about noir and things of that nature and certainly getting the, the noir vibe. But um, you, you've worked on so many titles and so many um, collaborations. So I'll, I'll just name a few and I will not nearly touch them all. But, of course, Grindel, um, Green Hornet, uh, you have... Dr. Midnight, um, classics adaptations like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I mean, Aliens, so many different ones that you've worked on. Uh, any particular favorites or positive experiences that I just left out of that quick rundown?
1: Well, uh, well, you know, I enjoy everything that I've worked on. And uh, uh, so they're all kind of my favorites. But, uh, but, you know, uh, <clears throat> one uh, recent project uh, that's near and dear to me is the uh, adaptation of uh, Lawrence Block's uh, Eight Million Ways to Die featuring uh, Detective Matthew Scudder which uh, uh, I did uh, some time ago that just uh, and that was a big favorite uh, but uh, yeah they're all they're all my favorites really Wonderful. and i see the adaptation cover over your shoulder right there so right. Yeah, and I just recently, actually, I just recently did uh, interior illustrations for uh, the Continental Op, uh, Dash Hammett's uh, character, uh, a collection of short stories that I did the interior illustrations for, uh, from Clover Press, and that was a great experience too. Wonderful, wonderful.
0: Um, so what initially drew you into comics as a way of telling the stories that you wanted to share?
1: Well, um, you know, as a kid, uh, I just immediately was drawn into comics. I think, uh, some of the earliest photos of me, I mean, I think I was holding comics like along with learning how to walk. I mean, they're, (laughs) I just, uh, I just immediately latched onto it. Uh, I think that I've just always loved, uh, stories and, uh, storytelling. And I think that immediately appealed to me as a kid, um, and all throughout my childhood uh you know i loved reading uh prose as well but uh, i was always fascinated by by storytelling through images uh movies uh just uh just the whole aspect of of being able to tell something visually and um you know uh, even as a kid i would try to draw comic stories like on notebook paper and try to tell stories but uh As I got older uh, in my late teens uh, and early 20s, I got really interested in film and movies, but uh, Mm -hmm. I really couldn't figure out how to um, cross into that genre. So uh, I at that time, uh, I had noticed the work of like, say, Frank Miller uh, on Daredevil, Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: he was uh, to me kind of bringing a new look. Uh, to the way comic stories can be told, but it was reminiscent of Will Eisner's uh, spirit books, which I really enjoyed, uh, the reprints that Warren Magazine had done uh, when I was younger as well. But his work and some of the uh, alternative comic adventure uh, comics that were being done during that period, I felt was like a reinvigoration of different kinds of storytelling that was kind of outside the superhero genre. Mm -hmm. And uh, that really appealed to me. So I kind of jumped back in and uh, got reinterested in doing comics uh, at that point. So
2: I
0: love that connection of film and comics. That's part of my reading history and fascination as well. So curious about I know know you've done science fiction, fantasy oriented material, but also curious about the draw that you have with uh, noir and mystery Sort of genres.
1: Well, again, that kind of goes back to to my childhood. I think Dick Tracy was like my first mm-hmm. favorite thing. I think before Batman or comics, I was immediately attracted to the. Uh, uh, there was a cartoon show, and then there was a, which was highly stylized by uh, UPA UPA animation, mm-hmm. and I think that stylization, especially in the opening credits, which was a overhead shot of the city, and then it would zoom in. And, you know, you have all the, the cars racing around this very highly stylized, uh, kind of m- almost modern, you know, uh, modern art kind of look, I think immediately appealed to me even as a kid. But uh, later on, I had a collection of the Chester Gold strips
2: mm-hmm.
1: and again that highly stylized black and white angular uh, style that Chester Gold had, uh, along with, you know, Dick Tracy solving the crimes through detection And, you know, hunting down the bad guys and kind of the grotesquerie of how the the villains were portrayed. All that really appealed to me as a kid. Also during that period, um, you know, there were movies like The Sting and The Godfather that had come out. And that had restarted a uh, kind of a, a nostalgia wave of those kinds of like gangster noir pictures. So I was... You know, on TV, I would see things like uh, Edward G. Robinson and Little Caesar, uh, James Cagney and uh, Humphrey Bogart in the Roaring Twenties about Prohibition.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm
1: -hmm. All of that really got me. uh, And I think that was an early start into my interest in art. Later on, when I was in comics, uh, I was working with uh, writer Timothy Truman on a series we did called The Prowler, which was kind of a... uh, Leo Craig, The Prowler, which was kind of almost like, what if The Shadow was kind of down and out on his luck, you know, Mm -hmm. tired and living in the Chelsea Hotel in New York? And what would that be like? And uh, he takes on a young protege. Anyway, for researching that project, uh, I started looking up, I think the whole film noir genre was just starting to be recognized. Uh, This was back in the uh, mid-80s, and uh, I started looking up uh, like a catalog of like list of film noir movies, like things that, movies that were being called film noir, mm-hmm. uh, you know, such as uh, Orson Welles' Touch of Evil, or uh, let's see here, uh, just a number of other a number of other pictures in that genre, and it was a lot tougher to find those those you know pre streaming days. So uh, fortunately, there was a video store uh, where I lived that had a lot of these movies, and I would rent them and kind of rediscover. This whole genre, but again, getting back to the relationship between comics and movies, you know, I would freeze frame some of the some of the uh, shots of, of the movies and just study how the composition was in each of the pictures, mm-hmm. and that was really helpful for me. And I just immediately saw a connection between uh, the visual storytelling in uh, comics, panel to panel, and how they were uh, in these film noir movies. And I think that this is something that comic artists have always been kind of keyed into. I know that Susan Kane uh, was very popular with comic artists. I you know Will Eisner was a big fan of that. And you can see that in their work. So I think there's been a long-term relationship uh, between comic artists and and movies and you know, and, and the noir genre, even before it was called uh, film noir. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And um, that's one of the things that I try to get across to students if i'm teaching film or comics or a combination of both is the fact that everything in that scene in that panel whatever it happens to be is there for a reason it's an intentional creative choice and and in a comic it's an artist taking the time to put that into place so it's there for a particular reason
1: yeah and what's really great about uh, comics is is that you don't like movies you have to really work to get those shots lined up in comics you can just draw it you can and I remember, um, you know, I would read a lot of film books when I was younger. And I remember uh, one uh, film book in particular was talking about Stanley Kubrick's uh, Paths of Glory, the, the World War One movie with uh, anti-war movie with Kirk Douglas. Mm-hmm. And there is a scene where Kirk Douglas is being interviewed by his superiors and he's under uh, this tremendous pressure and uh, uh, scrutiny. And the way that Kubrick set up the shot, and they had a still from this in the book, was uh, a shot from the table legs of the superior's desk. So the table leg is dominating, you know, one side of the screen. And then Kirk Douglas is like this big in the background. So it's, it's, you know, it's a literal translation of the relationship between him and his superior in that particular situation. And that was very instrumental to me in, in like saying that, okay, if I set up a shot, In a panel, you know, I can go to these extremes with an extreme foreground, extreme background, you know, to set up the relationship that the character's in or the relationship between uh, different characters. Mm -hmm. So all that stuff was very useful to me. And again, I think a lot of other comic artists have keyed into that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to insert a question here that wasn't on the list, so you can pass if you want or go into it. Um, Just curious about... As a creative, what it's like to take the work of like Lawrence Block or um, Dashiell Hammett and decide what that's going to be like as part of the adapting
1: process? Well, initially, it could be very, uh, very intimidating actually to mm-hmm. work on something that's uh, so beautifully written and to try to take on that responsibility of translating. I ran the same thing, uh, translating uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. High by Robert Louis Stevenson and, and uh, and also, uh, Joseph Conrad's a secret agent. So, you know, you really want to try to get it right. So, uh, uh, I think that part of you has to detach and say, "You can do it." You know, you just have mm-hmm. to kind of go forward and um, you know give it your best shot. Uh, but when I get into these uh, various adaptations, I will, you know, read through the material, the, the books, and and really try to look for a point of focus where I feel like I can interpret what I think, you know, the book is about and hopefully get it right. You know, get that interpretation, right. Uh, when I was doing Joseph Conrad's secret agent, which was, you know, one of the considered to be one of the first spy novels, but it's really about how a spy is. It's not nearly the drama that you would think with like uh, James Bond. It's more of a kind of a really lower echelon yet very dangerous uh, a position in in, as a career and life mm-hmm. and uh, it really gets into how it, you know, it doesn't, he doesn't have like, well, you know, he doesn't travel the world. He doesn't have uh, all these fantastic locations that he goes to. He has this really kind of beat life downbeat life in the, in downtown London and him and his wife run this uh, old magazine shop just to make ends meet while he's spying to kind of fill in, you know, his financial, uh, so I just focused on, I, I actually decided to focus on it as domestic drama. rather, than, mm. and, and then that way, all the uh, political stuff that uh, Conrad had in the original novel just kind of filled itself in. Mm. And I thought that that was a good direction to go with that. With uh, Lawrence Block's Eight Million Ways to Die, um, I found that, uh, again, you know, this is uh, in the Matthew Scudder detective series, and it was very clear to me that, you know, that the book title is a reference to the old Naked City movie and TV show. There are eight million stories in the in the Naked City. This is one <clears> of, <throat> used to be the opening uh, monologue for it. So this this story in particular, I thought was uh, it's a mystery, but at the but at the heart of it, it's about this internal struggle the main character, Detective Matthew Scudder, is having with himself, and he's trying to equate his destructive self behavior with the fact that he's in this city that where, you know, anybody, you can die for any reason, at any moment, but he's not a but he's kind of blocking out his own. His own behavior is really the most dangerous thing in his own life. Mm-hmm. And he's got to come to this realization uh, by the end of the novel. But I also, so I try to kind of focus on that the mystery was not only the actual mystery of the story, but the mystery within himself. And also that, that it's very clear that New York city is, in box books is like a character it's it's part of what the story is about and it wasn't just um the detectives inner her struggle all the characters that he interviews along the way they're all kind of trying to figure out you know their own internal issues and i felt like that was kind of like a point of focus uh for me to to, to work on to do that adaptation as well and you know i was really very happy that, you know, when I was finished with the adaptation, that the, uh, the writer Lawrence Block was really happy with the adaptation. So that was really great because he wasn't a big fan of graphic novels. So <laughs> I was a little concerned, but, uh, but not only was he happy with it, we ended up, you know, doing some signings together in New York. So that was a really great, uh, that was really great. That made me feel like, you know, I must've gotten something right. So, so anyway, it's always a challenge, but, but I enjoy the challenge. I think it's a great challenge, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's a, it's almost like trying to figure out like a, a puzzle or a mystery within itself to figure out how to do those adaptations. But I, I love doing this sort of thing. I really do enjoy it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And what a compliment to, to have the author say, yes, this, this works and it, it works well.
1: Yeah, it really was.
0: Um. So with that, sort of collaboration in mind, I usually like to ask about those positive experiences that you've had collaborating with folks in your career. And I think you've been mentioned maybe by Emily Whitten or, or a few guests as someone who's also been a positive voice, positive uh, person in other people's careers as well.
1: Oh, that's nice to hear. Thank you. Um, uh, I am um... I've been really fortunate. I've worked with a lot of great writers in comics uh, Timothy Truman, John Ostrander, and Ken Yale. Uh, Matt Wagner, I'm working with a great uh, uh, duo of writers right now, Nancy Holder and Alan Phillips, and on some projects. And, and uh, there are a whole lot of in between. Uh, Steve Siegel, I mean, just so many different writers that I've been very fortunate to work with. And, uh, and on the literary, you know, working with Lawrence Block was really fantastic, you know, as I mentioned. Uh, That was an interesting collaboration because, you know, I really didn't uh, meet Lawrence or talk with Lawrence until after I finished the adaptation, you know, of his book. And that's when we actually started communicating. However, I feel like the fact that I'm working on the book and and adapting his work, it is a constant collaboration, whether I'm in contact with the writer or not. so, you know, I've had a lot of really great experiences, and I was just thinking about this question that you had before uh, we started to talk, and uh, I was thinking that one interesting uh, collaboration that I had in my career that was a very uh, positive experience was I had a brief period of working with uh, uh, writer Harlan Ellison. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, uh, was, <clears throat> I had, uh, uh, was working with editor Bob Shrek over at Dark Horse Comics on a... Uh, Harlan Ellison. Uh, there was an adaptations of his short stories uh, called Harlan Ellison's Dream Court, and uh, Bob connected me with doing a story for one of the for one of the stories in this anthology series, and it was called Standing Room Only or SRO, and it was a story I think he had written in the early '60s, and it's about this kind of uh, New York uh, uh, hustler, huckster, showman. That these aliens, these giant aliens happen to land at Times Square and he manages to figure out how to put them on his an act. And it it turns really badly at the end, of course. And it's it had very much of a Twilight Zone. It, it almost would have been like a great Twilight Zone episode. And the adaptation, the written part was done by Steve Miles. And when I got the script from Steve, Steve had, you know, and this makes sense, had, had updated it to modern day at that time. And I felt like... It just, just seemed to me like I saw the story and I had this idea of doing the story in black and white, like an old Twilight Zone episode or old anthology show episode. And when the aliens showed up and started doing their performing, that they would appear in color. So it'd be like a, a kind of combination of the color, the aliens in color. And then, and then the uh, black and white, kind of almost like an old TV show. And I asked if I could go ahead and do that. And uh, and my editor, Bob. uh uh, was uh, Bob Shrek was like, you know, I'll, I'll surely, you know I'll ask Harlan. And and so I just figured, you know, th- that'll be the end of it, right? I'll just go ahead and start in and all that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, shortly after I made this request, I got a call early on a Sunday morning. And it was Harlan himself. <laughs> and, you know, th- give a little background on this. I was a huge fan of Harlan Ellison in my early 20s, late teens and early 20s. I thought he was a remarkable writer. And I actually really enjoyed a lot of, you know, getting back to Lawrence Block, I enjoyed a lot of his stories, his short stories about, uh, you know, inner city and crime and noir. And he had written a a, a lot of these uh, stories have been collected in an edition called The Deadly Streets. Mm -hmm. And I was very, very fond of that book. I was always also very fond of the collection of short stories of his called The Beast That Shouted Love at the Heart of the World, which had... Stories like, let's see, along the scenic route, which was like an early road warrior, roadway, road rage story and and uh, shattered like a glass goblin. Um, also, the, the lead story, it also had a boy and his dog in it. So, you know, the idea of Harlan actually calling me directly, I was really stunned, you know, yeah. and he he was just calling to ask, you know, why I wanted to set it in that time period. And I explained it to him and he was like, fine. And I just, you know, I just couldn't kind of couldn't believe I'd never expected to hear from Arthur. Well, from there, uh, from doing that story, uh, when it was published, um, he was going to be in town, I think, for a convention or something. uh, And I was in northern Virginia at that time. And there was a small comic shop, uh, a longtime friend of me uh, was running down on King Street in Old Town Alexandria. And I can't quite remember how all this came together. But we ended up doing a, a signing together. Literally, the shop was so small, we had card tables set out, out in the front. And there was a big line, and we, I'd made a little signature plate, you know, and, and uh, he signed it, and I signed. And, you know, I was sitting there right next to Harlan. it was just a, a, a really neat experience. And through that, we also were working on, I ended up working on a few covers for him, actually a couple of covers of uh, recollected hardcover uh Editions of his short stories and the series was called uh, Edgeworks and during all this period Harlan would call me regularly and he would act as art director and working on just the two covers that I worked on was almost like working on a, a graphic novel. I mean the level of detail that Harlan would call up and suggestions and I loved it. I really enjoyed it and I felt that just those experiences really helped me to grow, uh, as an artist and an interpretation. And, uh, he was always very nice to me and would call randomly. And, and, uh, and it was just a, a neat little relationship that grew out of that. And, uh, we had projected to do more of the edge work edge works covers, but, uh, with Harlan things don't always last, didn't always last that long. So, so anyway, you know, it was not an issue, but down the road, uh, with IDW, uh, uh publishing harlan struck up a working relationship with them to do an adaptation of his um, the book he did with edward bryant which was uh inspiration for the star lost i believe uh or i think the original screenplay for the star lost that became the novel i can't quite i don't quite remember how this worked but um, it was called phoenix without ashes and i ended up doing uh covers for that as well and so that kind of reunited um Harlan and I, and, uh, and we struck up talking again. Anyway, that was a really, that was a really neat experience, you know, to be able to work with Harlan and how that kind of extended over into hearing from him and, and having communication. And I have a, a pile of signed books from him because mm-hmm. he would buy, he bought the, the, both the Edgeworks covers. He bought uh, a green lantern page I'd done. And, you know, we worked out like a, a trade and I have like a shelf of, of, of books from Harlan and you know, the whole thing was just a great experience. So, so that would be uh, a collaboration that I would say, I haven't really, you know, it hasn't really uh, come up in a long time. So I thought I'd bring it up today. It was really enjoyable.
0: I love that. I love that. And uh, of course, I was familiar with the work, but I did not realize the relationship was that close and that ongoing. So that's. Uh, it's
1: I think a- Harlan, Harlan was very would get very involved with quite a few people, you know, working on projects and such. So I I don't think it was unusual by any stretch. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people might have very similar stories, but for me, it was very special, you know, and I really, uh, and I have a lot of fond memories of that. So, but again, I've, again, just getting back to what I said earlier, I I've been really, really lucky in my career because I have worked with a lot of great writers and uh, you know, in that it's really helped me to become a better storyteller my ability to do the, the adaptations, I am sure comes from what I have learned with working with, with other writers in the past. So.
0: Wonderful to meet your heroes.
1: Yes, yeah, it really is. Yeah, I agree.
0: Um, so final question and we can hit anything that we might've missed or anything that you wanna visit a little bit longer, but I always like to ask about sort of next creative steps, um, what's ahead in the creative journey or what you're thinking about next. And then I also like to give folks the chance to share about um, places where people can connect and, and follow along and see both what's been out as well as what's to come.
1: Okay, well, I've got a, it's a, I at mean, an interesting point with uh, my work right now. I've been doing a number of uh, illustrations and covers and a lot of commissions for quite some time now and uh i'm just kind of getting back into doing more sequential work and i think that uh, i'm getting i'm just getting back into a period of what i think is going to be uh, uh an extended period of doing more sequential work so so right now like i've mentioned to you previously i'm working on a duo of projects with writers noir projects with uh, nancy holder and, and alan Phillips and. and uh, and I, maybe I can come back on and talk about those at a later date. Those no, no. are in active development right now, and I want to wait till more is done on those to discuss those further. Uh, I'm also actively talking with uh, Lawrence Block and his agent about continuing the uh, adaptations of the Matthew Scudder books, and uh, we're really uh, we're really serious about uh, doing more of those. And uh, you know, when time and the right uh, uh, venue allows for that. Uh, I very much want to continue that. The series that I started working on, uh, creator-owned series I started working on when I first started in comics, uh, Fashion and Action. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also talking with a publisher about uh, doing a new edition of the original collected series with, some new, with a new story introducing some new characters and that leading into another new volume. Um, I'm at a point in my career where I feel like I would like to come full circle Mm -hmm. and get and come back to what I started doing initially, which is fashion and action. I'm always open to do new adaptations. Uh, I have a few ideas for that beyond the block, uh, book. And, um, with my, with my personal work that I mentioned earlier, like the commissions and all that sort of thing, I'm starting to, uh, uh, work with, uh, uh, comic, uh, a comic dealer, art buyer, uh, collector, uh, comic grader, very well-known, uh, Steve Borock, and Steve's going to be representing me for uh, uh, my future original art sales and commissions, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that because uh, working with Steve will allow me, he will start handling that sort of thing while I continue to focus on the sequential work and the adaptations and that sort of thing. So, so I feel like I'm at a, 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 a beginning of a new period in my career uh, mm-hmm. where I'm branching off into more of what I, I think it's an extension of what I've already been doing, but I'm kind of getting ready to go to a, a new level with it. So it's a it's an exciting period, you know, and it's a it's a little bit, um, you know, it's a little bit. Uh, uh, I don't know how to put it. Uh, a little unsure about exactly how it's all going to happen, mm-hmm. but I make it up as I go along. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there, I think as long as you just keep working and you keep your mind open to all the different possibilities, and I mean, this for everybody, you know, because I think what happens is uh, you get used to a routine and in, in your career and the style of working. But I think as an artist uh, in this field, an artist creator, I think that it's good to keep growing. And it's good to look for different ways, you know, to tell your stories, and, and and keep your eyes open for new ways and new venues to do that. And I'm beginning to see a lot of different avenues and ways to do that myself. And I'm just kind of foraging through and and following my following those new directions. So that's a little bit of what, um, a little bit of where I'm heading right now. So I'm heading toward a new direction, I would have to say. <laughs>
0: Uh, sounds wonderful. And, and I would be glad to have you back on any time to talk about anything that's uh, on arrival as it's taking shape.
1: That's great. Thank you very much. And if, if people want to see more of my work, they can go to uh, John K. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. And uh, I am also on Twitter or whatever it's called these days. And. Um, you know, those are those are places where I post work regularly and, and I'll be posting more process work and getting into more of that sort of thing. And some of the stuff that I'm talking about that I'm doing right now, there will be more to see about that from there. And I'll be as far as my artwork and commissions go, uh, that will all that's all that will start to become available through comiclink.com. And uh, so just keep an eye out there. Uh, that would be my suggestion to look for that sort of material.
0: Sounds wonderful. And I'll make sure to link all of those things in the podcast description, as well as a pop-up box for the video.
1: Thanks. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. and Looking forward to coming back on and talking about more of uh, what I've been discussing today.
0: It is a plan and it's been a pleasure here as well. So thank you so much, John.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone for, for listening in. Really appreciate it. Thank you.